Now turn with me tonight to the book of Job. Job chapter 32. Recently I came across something that was written by Charles Haddon Spurgeon on Job chapter 32. Chapter 32. And I want to just share something from this chapter with you tonight. Job chapter 32, we'll read from the verse 1. So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barachel, the Buzite of the kindred of Ram. Against Job was his wrath kindled because he justified himself rather than God. Also against his three friends was his wrath kindled because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Now Elihu had waited till Job had spoken because they were elder than he. When Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then his wrath was kindled. And Elihu, the son of Barachel, the Buzzite, answered and said, I am young, and ye are very old. Wherefore I was afraid and durst not show you mine opinion. I said, Days should speak, and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. Therefore I said, hearken to me, I also will show mine opinion. Behold, I waited for your words. I gave ear to your reasons, while ye searched out what to say. Yea, I attended unto you, and behold, there was none of you that convinced Job, or that answered his words, lest ye should say, We have found out wisdom. God thrusteth him down, not man. Now he hath not directed his words against me, neither will I answer him with your speeches. They were amazed. They answered no more. They left off speaking. When I had waited, for they spake not, but stood still and answered no more, I said, I will answer also my part. I also will show mine opinion, for I am full of matter. The spirit within me constraineth me. Behold, my belly is as wine which hath no vent. It is ready to burst like new bottles. I will speak that I may be refreshed. I will open my lips and answer. Let me not, I pray you, accept any man's person. Neither let me give flattering titles unto men. For I know not to give flattering titles. In so doing, my maker would soon take me away. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 22. And we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing these words of Holy Scripture. 
Now, my text tonight is taken from Job chapter 32, verse 7, right through to verse 9. And I'm going to entitle this message, That Days Should Speak and Years Should Teach Wisdom. Now, let me try and put the words of this text in their proper context. Job was a contemporary of Abraham. That is, he lived in around the same time span as Abraham, friend of God and father of the faithful. Job was a very righteous man who feared God and hated evil. Job chapter 1, verse 1. He had seven sons and three daughters. He was also a very wealthy man and one that was highly respected within his community. Then one day, the living in the true God gave the devil permission to launch an all-out attack upon Job's possessions and eventually Job's body. In a short space of time, Job had lost his ten children. Now you think of ten bodies being carried out of the one house that has just collapsed in on itself. And then following on from that, he lost all his cattle. And then he lost his health. And then he lost the respect of his wife, for she said to him, curse God and die. Now, now during this period of intense sadness and suffering, profound suffering, three of Job's friends came to visit him. They wanted to talk to him and explain certain things to him and offer him counsel as to why or how this could have happened. They're known as Job's counsellors. And for seven days they came and sat with Job in perfect silence. And then when he did speak, sadly, however, their counsel proved to be very unhelpful because all they could do is they alleged that Job must have sinned secretly and greatly against the Lord for the Lord to permit all this calamity to befall upon them. And they were saying, Job, you have sinned. You've got to realize it. You better repent and get right with the Lord. Job, of course, during all this exchange between these three counselors, he protested his innocence. He he denied that he'd sinned. And um, he, he... in the eyes of these counsellors, was justifying himself before God. And and eventually, of course, these three friends left off speaking to Job. And if you look with me at Job chapter 32 and verse 1, we read, So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Now, along with these three counsellors, there was another counsellor, a younger man. And he had been with them up to this whole time. And he had heard every word that was spoken. He had listened to all the detail that was being poured out of their mouths. And his name was Elihu. And after they had finished speaking, Elihu then took it upon him to speak. And this is what he said. And if you look at verse 7, I said they should speak. And multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. 
Great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. What he's saying is, as a younger man, out of respect to you who were older and aged, I held my peace. I never intervened. I didn't utter a word. I I didn't give you my opinion. And now having heard all that you older men have said, and now you've left off speaking to Job, I want to say something. And verse 7 is really how he begins, or verse 6 really how he begins. And I want us to take these words tonight, and I'm going to lift them out of their immediate context, and I'm going to lift them into the highest spiritual realm, because in reality, these words that I have just read apply to what we could call real, true wisdom. That is the wisdom of God. And we want to apply it then to our own hearts and minds. And that's why I've entitled the message that days should speak and years should teach wisdom. Now, three things. I want you to think firstly of the voice of the days. Look at verse 7. I said days should speak. Now, what does that mean? It means simply that the days has a voice or that there's wisdom in the passing of time and in the journey of life with the passage of time there's degrees of understanding comes into the mind regarding life itself. And what does the voice of the days say? Well, surely it would say that life is brief. Isn't there such a thing as the brevity of life? Isn't time swiftly passing by all of us? Does it not seem no time since last Christmas? And then it was the new year. And now we're into the seventh month of 2017. The winter's passed. The spring is over. We're now in the middle of the summer. And remember what? The psalmist could say in Psalm 90, the days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labour and sorrow for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. That's 70. You think of 365 days, and multiply that by 70 you'll get well over 25,000. And if you multiply it by 80, you can get nearly 30,000 days. You see, as each day passes, as another 24 hour comes and goes, let's remember that life is brief. The average lifespan of an individual in the days of the psalmist was about 70 You think of those that have reached 35, halfway through the journey. For those who were 70, and for those who were over 70, maybe into 80, they were in borrowed time. They were living in what some people call the fumes of life. In the book of Job, or sorry, in the book of James, we read James chapter 4 and 14, whereas we know not what shall be in the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapour that appeareth for a little time. 
and then vanisheth away. What is your life? James, this is but a vapor. You, you think of the steam that rises out of the kettle. You can see it for a second, and then it's gone. What is your life? The psalmist described it as swifter than a weaver's shuffle. In other words, it's almost indiscernible. It goes by so quickly. The voice of the days, not when he says life is brief, but it says something else. Life is uncertain. Doesn't the Bible say in Proverbs 27 and 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for no man knoweth what a day may bring forth. Why? Because tomorrow may never come. Don't we all make plans and arrangements? We're going to do this. We're going to go places. We have firm decisions. And then it can all change so quickly. You see, the only certainty of life is life's uncertainty. Everything changes and changes so quickly. We ourselves are changing and we, we think of being born. We, we think of being a toddler. We think of being a teenager. We, we, we think then of being in our uh, 20s and 30s. And now, of course, life is constantly changing. Isn't it good to know that the Lord says, I am the Lord and I change not, therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed. You know, I heard recently regarding the great Titanic, remember it was in his maiden voyage from the United Kingdom to the great land of America. And in that boat, there was a captain by the name of Edward Smith. And while the Titanic was on its maiden voyage, did you know that Edward Smith was on his last voyage? He had planned to retire after this. Preparations had been made, and yet he never got to enjoy it. Why? Because life is uncertain. And that can be reciprocated right all over the lives of many. What can we do then? If life is uncertain, let's heed the advice of Amos. Amos 4 and 12, prepare to meet thy God. And how can you prepare to meet God given that God is holy and we are sinful? Well, here's the answer. In the gospel, God has provided a way to remain just and yet the justifier of the ungodly. God has provided a way in the gospel to justify and acquit the ungodly and still remain true to himself. That's bound up in the personal work of the Lord Jesus. That's bound up to his blood shedding on Mount Calvary. Let me ask you. Have you made preparation? Are you ready to meet God? Remember, life is uncertain. It can all change so quickly. One day you're in health and strength and the next day you could be brought down to the very door of death. You could be stricken with a mystery illness and gone so suddenly. I'm talking to loads of people on the 12th of July. I'm talking to loads of people on the 13th of July at Scarva. And we're talking about those that are gone from this time last year. And it's not only the elderly. It's also the middle-aged. It's also the young. Men who have lost their wives. And, and, and wives who have lost their husbands. In, in tragic circumstances. What preparation have you made? If life is brief. And life is uncertain. Then what preparation have you made? Are you trusting in Christ? Is he your Lord and Saviour? Are, are you washed in the blood of Calvary's lamb? Can, can you say that I'm saved from sin's power, its penalty and pleasure? He took the love of sinning out of my heart. I've got sins forgiven. I put my head in the pillow. It's well with the soul. I've got peace with God. I have the assurance of heaven and home. But one day I'll be with Christ, which is far better. 
Let me tell you something else. In the voice of the days, it says life is limited. Did you catch the thread there in Psalm 70 or Psalm 90 verse 10? The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. Listen to this. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. We can live to our 70 or 80, 90. We can even live to our 100. And we can live years of joy and pain. We can live years of strength and sorrow. And yet, the Bible says it is soon cut off. One day we will die. That day is appointed. Hebrews 9.27 is appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. God has appointed it. And that's an appointment that you and I will keep. Did you know that in ancient Egypt, at state functions organized by Pharaoh, they had a very extraordinary guest sit at the top table. That guest was dressed in black. That guest didn't eat, didn't speak, didn't move. The guest was veiled because that guest was a, a skeleton representing death itself, just to remind those revelers at the table, the guests that had come to the feast, that there is such a thing as death itself who'd come to take them away. It was the psalmist that said, there is but a step between me and death. Again, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it was Solomon that had said in uh, chapters uh, 7 and verse uh, 1, um, it is better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men. And the living, they lay at the heart. You see, the voice of the days will speak. Life is limited. You see, in the house of mourning, we learn things. Life is brief. Life is uncertain. Life is limited. We're not here forever. One day we will die. Moses said, oh, that men were wise. Oh, that they would consider their latter end. We need to think about these things. We need to lay at our heart. The Bible speaks about setting your house in order. The voice of the days. Notice secondly and quickly, I want you to think of the value of the years. It says in our text, and multitude of years should teach wisdom. I want you to think of the years that God has given to us. And in your mind, as you span the years from the day of your birth right up to the present time, I want you to think of God's provision. Hasn't God met your need? His eye has been upon you from the moment of your conception. In his sight, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're made in his image. And he has provided for you. He's provided food and raiment for us on a daily basis. He's provided for our every need. And you, you think of the context of having a loving family. You, you think of the, 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 the beauty and arrangement of married life. You think of life itself being full of ups and downs and oftentimes we are facing trial and we're, we're in the valley of tears and, and, and troubles abound. And in the valley experience, the Lord doesn't abandon us. The Lord doesn't leave us as orphans. The Lord comes 
And he gives again. He gives grace and he gives mercy. Didn't he say to Paul in the thorn in the flesh, my grace is sufficient for you. Hasn't he said to us in that lovely statement in the book of Hebrews, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may find mercy and obtain grace to help in time of need. It was the Lord Jesus that said, I'm come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. Suppose tonight I was to go down into 8 South there, uh, into the, the pub and uh, start to talk to some of the men who are uh, drinking and eating there and just ask them, could you tell me what you're doing? Well, they might say to me, well, mind your own business. They might tell me to clear off and maybe give me a black eye or something. But some of those that would talk to me might say, well, look, I'm, I'm enjoying myself. I, I, I'm free to choose. Isn't there pleasure in sin? And the answer is yes, there is. But it's only for a season. But I, I want to tell you, for many, life is a miserable experience. For many, life is full of unfulfilled hopes and dreams. For, for many, their life is a place of unhappiness. And that's despite all the advances technologically and medicinally and scientifically and despite having loads of devices and gadgets at our disposal how many in their thousands young people and, and older people say that their life is so unfulfilled why? because they have forgotten that all that they have in life has come via God's hand it's God providing for their need, physically and temporally, materially. Let me tell you something else. Think about God's protection. Do you know that God has kept you and me alive to this day? We have been preserved. Isn't our breath in the very hand of the Lord? Isn't he the giver of life? Isn't he the taker of life? He's the preserver of life. I wonder if you ever heard of a man called Ira David Sankey. He was an American gospel singer and composer. Did you know that in 1876, one Christmas Eve, he was on a steamboat. He was going up the Delaware River. And somebody noticed him, as people do. Oh, there's Mr. Sankey. Sing to us a song, sir. And because he was asked to sing and didn't want to say no, he thought for a moment and then he said a little prayer. Lord, help me to choose a good hymn. He thought about one of his own hymns and he thought, no, I'll be more modest. I'll sing a hymn written by someone else. So he chose a hymn that was, lyrics at least were compared by a lady called Dorothy Thorpe. I trust I've pronounced that right, in 1836. <coughs> And the tune was a, a tune that was composed by a guy called William Bradbury. And this was the hymn. Saviour, like a shepherd, lead us. Much we need thy tender care. In thy pleasant pastures feed us. For our use, thy fold prepare. Now after the song, a, a man stepped forward and asked him, Were you in the Union Army, Mr. Sankey? He said it was, yes, in the spring of 1860. Tell me this, he says, on the front line, would you have been in picket duty about 1862? Yes, 
as he says, I was. Why do you ask? He said, well, I was a soldier in the Confederate Army. You couldn't see me. It was a moonlight night. But I had you in my sights. I had my rifle cocked. I could have shot you. I said, in fact, you're not going to get away alive tonight. And then he said, you started to sing. And you know what you sang? Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. That very song you sang is a song that my mother sang to me when I was a child. I grew up in a Christian home. My mother was a saved, godly woman. And when I heard you singing, I thought about her. And when you finished singing, having listened to you, in the end I decided I couldn't take aim. And I believe, Mr. Sanke, God saved you from that night when I could have taken your life. And he saved you so you could sing the gospel. And here you are singing tonight. They got into conversation. The man confessed, well, well, I don't know the shepherd. I'm not saved. My mother prayed for me. I've lived a wild, sinful life. And in the end, that Christmas Eve, David Sankey led that man in the deck of the boat to saving faith in Christ. See, see God's provision. God's protection. None of us are here by accident. We only exist by the good pleasure of God. Why are we alive? Because God in his providence and his mercy has given us life. Think of God's pleadings. In the multitude of years, how many times have you heard the gospel? You've been privileged. Sunday school, children's meetings, young people's meetings, gospel services. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And it's a wonderful privilege to come to the house of God and to sing God's praise and hear God's word. Not only read, but preached. I want to ask tonight, how many opportunities have you had? Like that soldier to date, have you put off every gospel opportunity, even though you had opportunity after opportunity to repent and get right with God? Remember the Bible says, Behold, now is the accepted time, now is the day of salvation. Hebrews 4 and 7 says, Today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. And yet, have you hardened your heart? God has been good to you. Very good. Many mercies have come. And every time you've heard the gospel, that's God in mercy. What if it was your last opportunity? And you had a final privilege to hear God speaking. And God said, this is your last time. This is your last night. I'll take you to eternity. You see, the multitude of the years. I want you to think of one final thing. The vision of the Almighty. Verse 8 says, But there's a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. You see, Elihu was stating here, that for a long time he sat in silence with these other counsellors. And it was reasonable for him to look for and expect to find wisdom 
among the aged. After all, they were experienced men. They had walked the road of life before him. And they could give good counsel and pearls of wisdom. But he'd been disappointed. He, he, he didn't find wisdom coming out of their mouth. And then he discovered something. That wisdom is not attributed to rank or station. It's not attributed to merely the young or the aged. Wisdom is really the gift of God. But there is a spirit in man. And that, that spirit in man is God's gift. And the inspiration of the Almighty. That, that's the breath of the Almighty. Giveth them understanding. In other words, wisdom comes via the Spirit of God. And, and wisdom is really a gift of God. And therefore it can be found in a child. It can be found in a young man. It can be found in an aged man. Because it's God that gives wisdom. Wisdom, it comes from above. And all true spiritual wisdom is from above. And where the inspiration or breath of the Almighty is, no matter one's age, rank, station in life, there is wisdom and there's understanding. There's discernment. And this is what he discerned. The stupidity of the wise. He says great men are not always wise. We could line up great men in the pulpit tonight. We could call Pharaoh out of Egypt. What did Pharaoh say? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? He was full of pride and stubbornness. Full of his own self-importance. Think about Herod. The days of the Lord Jesus. Do you know that Herod was willing to go to hell? Over the love of a woman? Remember Herod had taken a woman called Herodias. Herodias was his brother Philip's wife. And Herod had taken a fancy to her. And was living in an adulterous relationship with her. And then John the Baptist came preaching. And what did John the Baptist say? It's not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. He, he nailed it. He pointed out his sin. And of course John the Baptist ended up in jail. Herod used to listen to John the Baptist preach. He, he heard him gladly. John told him the truth. He needed to repent and get right with God. And yet Herodias had it in for John the Baptist. And she conjured up a scheme whereby the head of John the Baptist would be brought to her at a certain time on a plate. And that's exactly what happened. Who or what is keeping you back from Christ? Is it, is it a lifestyle choice? Is it the love of money? Is it a, a relationship with a woman or a man or a young person? We could ask King Agrippa to come to the pulpit. Remember King Agrippa said in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 26, he says, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He, he had heard the great Paul preach. He was so near, and yet so far. Almost thou persuadest me. But he was not altogether. Great man, you see. You think of Gallio. He was the proconsul of Archaea. And we read of him that Gallio cared for none of these things. He had not one thought of God. He didn't care about sin. He didn't care about his soul. And how many they are like that in the world. 
Aren't there pharaohs in the world? Aren't there Herods in the world? King Agrippa's in the world? Gallio's in the world? Great men, men of power and position. And yet, great men are not always wise. Elihu discovered the stupidity of the wise because God had given him wisdom. And one final thing. I want you to think of the study of the wise. Years ago, I seen a sticker in the back of a car. I can't remember where the car was, but it said this. Wise men sought Jesus. Thinking about the wise men from the east. And then it added the words they still do. Wise men. See, wise men will recognise and face up to their own human sinfulness. They, they will accept for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Wise men will face up to the fact that they've got an immortal soul that will live in the countless ages of eternity as long as God lives, either with God in heaven and Christ or, or with the devil and the fallen angels in hell. Wise men will understand that there's only one saviour of sinners, Jesus Christ. Wise men will come to realise and understand that they need to be find salvation at the feet of the Lord Jesus. Think of the words of the publican. God be merciful to me, the sinner. The wise men will find security in the Lord. The Lord is my portion. Let me ask the question tonight as we finish. Are you wise? Has the vision of the Almighty, via the Spirit of God, given you wisdom to see through the stupidity of the wise and give you the ability to study and think? I'm a sinner. I've got a soul. I need to be saved. Christ is the Savior of sinners. I can go to Christ and find security and supply in Him. Let's think of the days that speak and the multitude of the years. Do you hear the voice of the days? Life is brief. Life is uncertain. Life is limited. Can you hear the voice of the multitude of the years? God has been good. He's provided for your every need. He's protected you. You're in his hand. He has pleaded with you in mercy to come to him. You think of the vision of the Almighty. Has he made you wise in these things? May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to you this evening. Thank you for coming and thank you for listening.